You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Spiritualism, Madame Blavatsky, and Theosophy. This is Lecture 12, entitled More on the Eighth Sphere, given in Dornach on October 18, 1915. It is very difficult indeed to speak about the so-called Eighth Sphere, which was referred to openly for the first time by Sinnott. One cannot say that he gave information about it, for what he said was wrong. You can certainly realize, then, why it is difficult to speak about this subject. I have often emphasized that our language has been coined for the outer material world. Perhaps that is why the Eighth Sphere was regarded as a secret matter until Sinnott mentioned it. Consequently, there are not many words that can be used for characterizing the Eighth Sphere. The fact that all mention was avoided for so long will also enable you to understand what is involved when one speaks of it. You will, therefore, have to take the aphoristic remarks I shall make today as a kind of introductory exposition, given with the object of throwing out certain indications, which to begin with can contribute only a little to the subject. It is to be hoped, however, that there will be opportunities for saying more at some later time. For the moment, based on what I said in my last lecture, I shall try to characterize what is called the Eighth Sphere. I shall do so in order that we may have a foundation for describing the development of the spiritual movement in the nineteenth century and at the beginning of the twentieth century. From what I said yesterday, you will have understood that the Eighth Sphere cannot be anything that belongs to the material world. Thus the greatest fallacy in Sinnott's statement is that the physical moon is directly connected with the eighth sphere. Yesterday I tried to make it understandable that the actual foundation of the error is that this pointed to something material and physical. From this you will be able to conjecture, even if not to understand fully, that what is called the eighth sphere can have nothing directly to do with anything within the material world. That is to say, what can be perceived by our senses and thought out based on sensory perception plays no part in the eighth sphere. So it will be useless to look for the eighth sphere anywhere in the material world. You now have a basis on which we may begin to approach a conception of the eighth sphere. I have said that the eighth sphere has something to do with the residue left from the old moon and its evolution. So much you can gather from the studies we have pursued in the course of time. I tried to make it clear yesterday that on the old moon the natural mode of perception of human beings was visionary and imaginative in character, so that any substantiality to be discerned in the eighth sphere must be found with this kind of vision. That is to say, it must be presumed at the outset 
that the eighth sphere is found by way of visionary imaginations. How did the expression eighth sphere come to be used? You know that human evolution takes its course through the seven spheres of Saturn, Sun, Moon, Earth, Jupiter, Venus, and Vulcan. We will conceive that besides these seven spheres, there is still something else that lies outside these and yet is in some way related to the earth. Here, then, we have a sphere, visible only to visionary, imaginative clairvoyance, which stands as an eighth sphere, over and above the seven, that make up the domain of the ordered and regular evolution of humankind. All such sketches are, of course, purely schematic. It is only for the sake of the diagram that spheres must be drawn separately, that, in fact, can be observed only each within the others. You will certainly have realized from our studies that as long as human beings are in the material world, make observations through the senses, and think with the intellect, they are standing in the fourth sphere, the earth sphere. If they develop their faculties of soul sufficiently, to be able to see the third or moon sphere, they fly far, but not, of course, in the spatial sense. Observing from the moon sphere, they do not observe from another place, but physically or spatially speaking, from the same place. The seven spheres, therefore, ought in reality to be drawn within one another. These seven spheres, in fact, are successive stages and states of evolution. Fundamentally, then, Such a diagram has no other value than if one were to say that human beings develop from birth to the seventh year in a first stage, from the seventh to the fourteenth year in a second stage, and so on. The being who has developed from the first to the seventh year cannot be thought of as separate from the being who is developing from the seventh until the fourteenth year. In the same way, it is incorrect to think of the seven successive spheres or stages of the earth's evolution as separate from each other. This will give you an inkling that the eighth sphere is to be observed within the earth sphere. It cannot properly be drawn either above or below. To depict reality, it would have to be sketched into the earth sphere. I have often given a crude example to express what is meant here. Just as the physical air is around us, so is the spiritual around us. We have to look for the spiritual within what is actually physical in our environment. Hence, just as the spiritual is round about us, so too the eighth sphere must be around us in our environment. We must look for it there. This means we must develop an organ enabling us to perceive the eighth sphere just as we have developed our physical senses to enable us to perceive the material earth. We could then experience the eighth sphere quite consciously, but unconsciously we are always within it, just as we are always within the air, even if we are not aware of it. If we have developed an organ for experiencing the eighth sphere, we are conscious of it around us. So if the eighth sphere is to be described, it must obviously be described as a realm in which we are living all the time. Now, as I said, all that I can do in these introductory studies is to give some general information 
The rest will emerge as we proceed. First of all, you can understand that what is around us as the eighth sphere is accessible to imaginative, visionary clairvoyance. To develop imaginative clairvoyance without perceiving something of the eighth sphere is impossible. The reason it is so difficult to speak of matters such as the eighth sphere is because so very few people possess really clear and discriminative clairvoyance. In the eighth sphere we have to do with imaginations and what constitutes the essential nature of earth evolution, that is to say the fourth sphere, is not present in the eighth sphere. The essential nature of the fourth sphere is constituted, as I indicated yesterday, by the mineral impregnation of this world body. That we are able to live on the earth is due to the fact that this fourth sphere has been mineralized. We live in a mineralized environment. Perceived through the physical senses, this can be coordinated by the intellect. But we must recognize that the mineral element is totally absent from the eighth sphere. When we eliminate the mineral element in thought, all that remains is a later stage of the old moon evolution, for whence could anything else originate? But evolution proceeds, something that is perceptible through imaginative, visionary clairvoyance, but could be nothing else than a residue of the old moon, would not be the eighth sphere. All that could be said would be that the third sphere had left something behind. To have some inkling of the facts relating to the eighth sphere, we must also keep the following in mind. In the course of its regular evolution, the third sphere became the fourth sphere. That is to say, a transition of the third elemental kingdom, for that is what we must call it, to the mineral kingdom took place. The mineral element was added. Otherwise, we should have to conceive of the old moon as a sum total of substantiality, imaginatively perceptible. It must therefore be assumed that the regular progression from the old moon to the earth, from the third sphere to the fourth sphere, consists in what was formerly only imaginatively perceptible, becoming materially perceptible, that is, becoming mineralized. To begin with, the old moon element, as the eighth sphere, remains. But due to a particular happening, this element undergoes a change. What took place so that the fourth sphere might be able to arise from the third is clearly described in esoteric science. I show there how the activities of the spirits of form, who guide the whole process of the transformation, are added to those of the spirits of movement. We may therefore say that the fourth sphere arises out of the third because the spirits of form add their activities to those of the spirits of movement. If the spirits of form had achieved everything that their own nature desired and moreover was able to achieve, when the mission of sphere 3 was fulfilled in the cosmos, sphere 4 would have arisen quite naturally from sphere 3. That is obvious. But we know that Luciferic and Aramonic spirits are at work. They hold back for themselves something of the old moon substantiality. They wrest it away, as it were, from the spirits of form. 
The fact that Lucifer and Araman do so is indicative of their essential nature. Thus as Sphere 3 is advancing to a further stage, something is wrested from the spirits of form by Lucifer and Araman, and into this part that is wrested away, Lucifer and Araman penetrate instead of the spirits of form. The activities of Lucifer and Araman are added to those of the spirits of movement, and as a result, eight arises out of three, the eighth sphere out of the third sphere. Something else must be there then, not merely the old moon. This something else that comes into being as sphere four is constituted by the fact that mineral substantiality as it comes into being is wrested away at the moment of the birth of the fourth sphere. Thus when the mineral comes into existence out of the imaginative substantiality it is snatched by Lucifer and Araman and made into imaginations. Instead of an earth arising from the remaining old moon substantiality, a cosmic body takes shape whose birth is due to the fact that the substantiality wrested from the earth is made into what has come over from the old moon. Now, recall how I have described the conditions pertaining to the old moon in esoteric science. In the old moon there was as yet nothing mineral. Had mineral substance been present, that world body would have been earth, not moon. Sphere 4 comes into being through the birth of the mineral element. In that Lucifer and Araman approach, snatch mineral substantiality out of sphere 4 and infuse it into sphere 3, the old moon is recapitulated but now with materiality that belongs properly to the earth. Mark this well. Instead of pure imaginations being there, the imaginations are identified by the infusion of a mineral element that has been wrested from the earth. Identified imaginations are thus created. We are therefore drawn into a world of identified imaginations that are not lunar in character, because materiality belonging to the earth has identified them. They are ghosts, specters. That is to say, behind our world there is a world of specters created by Lucifer and Araman. Let me express it schematically. On the old moon certain pictures were present. These should have passed over to the earth as something everywhere perceptible. But Lucifer and Araman retain them for themselves. Lucifer and Araman wrested from the earth certain of its constituents and made them into imaginations, so that these earth substances became not earthly formations but moon formations. Into our fourth sphere, therefore, there has been instilled a sphere that is really a moon sphere but is filled with earthly substantiality and is therefore a bogus creation in the universe. To the seven spheres, an eighth, created in opposition to the progressive spirits, has been added. The necessary consequence of this is that the spirits of form must do battle on the earth for every morsel of substantiality capable of mineralization. 
lest it should be wrested from them by Lucifer and Araman and carried into the eighth sphere. In truth, therefore, our earth, the fourth sphere, is simply not what it appears outwardly to be. Were it really to consist of atoms, all these atoms would still be impregnated by formations belonging to the eighth sphere, which are perceptible only to visionary clairvoyance. These formations are present everywhere. So, too, are the specter-like contents of the eighth sphere. These can therefore be perceived just as actual specters are perceived. All earthly being and existence are involved here. Lucifer and Araman strive unceasingly to draw from the earth's substances whatever they can snatch, in order to form their eighth sphere, which then, when it is sufficiently advanced, will be detached from the earth and go its own way in the cosmos together with Lucifer and Araman. Needless to say, the earth would then pass over to Jupiter as a mere torso. As you know, as human beings we have an established place in the whole of the evolution of the earth because we are mineralized through and through. We are permeated by the mineralizing process that is itself drawn into this battle so that morsels of this substance can be continually wrested from it. Therefore we ourselves are involved in the battle. Lucifer and Araman battle against the spirits of form with the aim of wresting mineral substance from us everywhere. But the strength of the process varies in the different regions of our organism. We are diversely constituted. Some organs are more perfect than others. Our most perfect organ is our organ of thinking, the brain and the skull. There the battle is the most violent, precisely because this human head, this human brain, is fashioned as it is. In fact, it is so fashioned because it is at this place in our body that Lucifer and Araman have been the most successful in wresting mineral substance from us. Physical substance is more spiritualized there than anywhere else. The formation of our skull is due to the fact that there the most has been wrested from us. Hence it is precisely through the head that we can emancipate ourselves from our organism to the greatest extent. We can soar upward in thoughts. We can distinguish between the good and the evil. And for that very reason, Lucifer and Araman have there been the most successful in wresting away substantiality. They have been able to wrest away the greatest amount of mineralized substantiality in the so-called noblest organ. This alchemy by which mineral substance is sent over into the eighth sphere, takes place all the time behind the scenes of our existence. If everything were to run smoothly for Lucifer and Araman, if they were able to rest from everywhere as much as they rest from the organ of the head, then earthly evolution would soon reach a point where Lucifer and Araman could succeed in destroying our earth, thereby they would lead the evolution of all the worlds into the eighth sphere, and the whole evolution of the earth would take a different course. Thus Lucifer tries to unfold his greatest strength where we are the most vulnerable, namely in our heads. The stronghold that is easiest for Lucifer to capture is the human head, 
and everything else similar in the distribution of the mineral element. These can be drawn out in the same way, are equally exposed to the danger of being dispatched into the eighth sphere. No less a prospect looms as a consequence of this intention of Lucifer and Arman than that the whole evolution of humanity may be allowed to disappear into the eighth sphere, so that this evolution would take a different course. That, you see, was the intention of Lucifer and Araman from the beginning of earthly evolution, to let the whole of this evolution disappear into the eighth sphere. It was therefore necessary that a counterweight be created by those spirits who belong to the hierarchy of the spirits of form. The outer counterweight they created consists in this. They inserted something into this space, as it were, of the eighth sphere that works against this eighth sphere. To present this correctly, we must understand the earth and the moon to be surrounded by the eighth sphere. The eighth sphere belongs to our physical earth in the sense indicated. We are surrounded everywhere by the imaginations into which Lucifer and Araman intend that mineral materiality shall be drawn continually. There lies the reason for the sacrifice made by Yahweh, the precipitation of substance far denser than other mineralized substance. Yahweh established this as moon, as the counteracting agent. It was substance of extreme density. Sinnet described this density as substance of a far denser physical mineral character than exists anywhere on earth. Hence Lucifer and Araman cannot dissolve it away into their world of imaginations. And so this moon circles around as a material globe, solid, dense, and indestructible. If you read carefully enough, you will find that even the descriptions of the moon given by physicists tally with this. Everything that was available on the moon was drawn out. Excuse me. Everything that was available on the earth was drawn out and placed there so that there would be enough physical matter incapable of being wrested away. When we look at the moon, we see a substance far more intensely mineralized, far denser physically than exists anywhere on earth. Yahweh or Jehovah then must be regarded as the being who even in the physical domain has ensured that Lucifer and Araman cannot draw all materiality away. And then, at the right time, equal care will be taken by the same spirit that the moon will re-enter the earth when the earth is strong enough to receive it. When the danger is averted by the development that has, meanwhile, taken place. This applies to the external, physical, mineral domain. But in the human domain, too, it was necessary that a counterweight be created to the intention aimed at the human head. Just as, in the outside world, materiality had to be identified that Lucifer and Araman cannot dissolve by their alchemy, so in the human being something had to be set over against the organ that can most easily be attacked by Lucifer and Araman. Yahweh had therefore to take care, just as he had done for the mineral domain, that not everything can succumb to the attacks of Lucifer and Araman. 
care had to be taken that not everything proceeding from the head could become the prey of Lucifer and Araman. Care had to be taken that not everything would depend upon the activity of the head and the outward senses. If this had not been done, Lucifer and Araman would have been victors. It was necessary that a counterweight be created in the domain of earthly life, that there be in the human being something entirely independent of the head, and this was achieved through the work of the good spirits of form who implanted the principle of love into the principle of heredity on earth. That is to say, there is now operative in the human race something that is independent of the head, that passes from generation to generation and has its deepest foundations in the physical nature of humankind. What is connected with propagation and with heredity and is independent of us in the sense that we cannot penetrate it with our thinking is the gift of the moon in the celestial firmament and proceeds from the principle of love permeating the process of propagation and heredity. Hence the violent battle that persists through history, the battle waged by Lucifer and Araman against everything that comes from this domain. Lucifer and Araman want to force on us the exclusive sovereignty of the head, and they launch their attacks by way of the head against everything that is purely natural affinity. For whatever is hereditary substance on the earth cannot be wrested away by them. What the moon is in the heavens, heredity is on the earth below. Everything that is grounded in heredity, everything that is not charged with thought, that is connected intrinsically with physical nature, that is the Yahweh principle. The Yahweh principle unfolds its greatest activity where nature is working as nature. It is there that Yahweh has outpoured in greatest measure the love that is his natural attribute in order to create a counterweight to the lovelessness, the mere wisdom of Lucifer and Araman. It would be necessary to go very thoroughly into matters recently presented from quite different points of view to show how in the moon and in the process of human heredity the spirits of form have created barricades against Lucifer and Araman. If you think more deeply about these matters, you will find something of immense importance here. Now to reach at least some measure of understanding, the subject must also be approached from a rather different standpoint. If you remember what is said in esoteric science about the evolution of humankind, through the old Saturn, old Sun and old Moon stages of the evolution of the Earth, you will realize that in these stages there can be no question of freedom. In those other stages human beings were enclosed in a web of necessity. In order that they might be ripe for freedom, mineral nature had to be incorporated. They had to become beings permeated with the mineral element. Hence, human beings can be educated for freedom only within the earthly material world. This by itself indicates the tremendous significance of the earthly material world. What humanity must acquire, freedom of will, can be acquired only during earthly evolution.
In the Jupiter, Venus and Vulcan stages we will need this freedom of will. Thus when we consider the question of freedom, we are in a realm of great importance, for we know that earth is the begetter of freedom precisely because it is earth that impregnates us with the physical mineral element. From this you will understand that what stems from free will must be kept within the realm of earth. It is impossible to apply anything that stems from the principle of freedom to spheres three, two, and one. But the endeavor of Lucifer and Araman is to drag the free will and whatever stems from it into the eighth sphere. This means we are perpetually exposed to the danger of having our free will wrested from us and dragged by Lucifer and Araman into the eighth sphere. This happens if the element of free will is transformed, for example, into visionary clairvoyance. When this happens, a person is already in the eighth sphere. This is a matter occultists are so reluctant to speak of because it is an awful, terrible truth. The moment the free will is transformed into visionary clairvoyance, what unfolds in the human being becomes the booty of Lucifer and Araman. It is immediately captured by them and thereby spirited away from the earth. You can see from this how the specters of the eighth sphere are created through the shackling of free will. Lucifer and Araman are engaged perpetually in shackling our free will and in conjuring all sorts of things before us in order to tear away what we make out of these things and let it disappear in the eighth sphere. When clairvoyance in all kinds of different forms develops in naive, credulous, superstitious people, it is often the case that their free will has been sacrificed. Then Lucifer instantly seizes hold of it, and whereas these people imagine they have had an experience of immortality, the truth is that in their visions they see a part or a product of their souls being rested away and prepared for the eighth sphere. You can imagine from this how deep was the concern of those who, having compromised by agreeing that by way of mediumship all kinds of truths relating to the spiritual world should be given to the public, then found the mediums believing that the dead were speaking to them. But the occultists knew that what takes place between mediums and the living is that the stream of free will is passing into the eighth sphere. Instead of a link being formed with the eternal, the mediums were testifying precisely to what was continually disappearing into the eighth sphere. From this you will realize that Lucifer and Araman have an avid desire to bring as much as possible into the eighth sphere. Although Goethe mixed Lucifer and Araman together, he has nevertheless correctly described how a soul is wrested away from the clutches of Mephistopheles' Araman. It would be the richest prize for Lucifer and Araman if they could ever succeed in capturing a whole soul for themselves, for where thereby such a soul would disappear into the eighth sphere and be lost from earth evolution. The greatest victory for Lucifer and Araman would be if one day they could claim that countless numbers of the dead had passed into their sphere, 
that would be their greatest victory. Moreover, they have a way of achieving it. Lucifer and Arman could think somewhat as follows. Human beings long to know something about life between death and a new birth. If therefore we tell them that they are learning something from the dead, they will be satisfied and will direct their feelings toward the realm from which announcements are made to them as coming from the dead. If therefore we desire that human hearts and minds shall be guided toward the eighth sphere, let us say to them, We are telling you something that comes from the dead. We shall capture souls by alleging that the dead are in our domain. This devilish plan, for here we have indeed to do with the devil, was put into effect by Lucifer and Araman when it had occurred to occultists to endeavor to accomplish something through mediumship. Lucifer and Araman inspired the mediums, through whom they arranged the whole business, so that people might be guided to the realm whence the dead were alleged to be speaking. Lucifer and Araman could then lay hold of their souls. The occultists were alarmed when they saw the course things were taking, and they took counsel among themselves about how to steer away from it. Even those who belonged to the left wing realized what was happening. They wanted to do something different. Then an opportunity presented itself. A remarkable personality, namely H. P. Blavatsky, appeared. Now, after the plan had been seen through and the occultists on earth no longer lent their hands to it, Lucifer and Araman were obliged to pursue their aim a different way. Materialism had come upon the scene in the natural course of earthly evolution. Therefore, in order to reckon with the mineralized process of evolution, it was necessary that the attention of human beings should be focused entirely on material things. That is materialism pure and simple. The occultists who had special aims of their own said, Well and good, we will rely upon materialism. If, however, we take materialism in its purely earthly form, people will inevitably discover one day through their thinking that atoms do not exist, so that will not be very fertile soil. But human thinking can certainly be perverted if materialism is made occult. The best way of doing this is to present the sphere to be created as a counterweight to the eighth sphere as the eighth sphere itself. If people can be led to believe that the materiality created as a counterweight to the eighth sphere is the eighth sphere itself, then that will outstrip every conceivable earthly materialism. Earthly materialism was indeed outstripped in the assertion made by Sinnott. Materialism is there imported into the realm of occultism. Occultism there becomes materialism. Sooner or later people would have been bound to discover this. H. P. Blavatsky, who had deep insight into this phase of the earth's evolution, divined something of what was happening. She did so after she had seen through the tricks of that strange individuality of whom I spoke in the last lecture. She concluded that what was happening could not go on as it was. She said that it had to be changed. But she said that, under the influence of the Indian occultists who belonged to the left wing. 
She realized that things must change, but that something not easily detectable must be created. In order to create something herself that would outstrip Sinnott's assertion, she acceded to the proposals of the Indian occultists who were inspiring her. These occultists, being adherents of the left path, had no other aim than the promotion of their own special interests, Indian interests. They had in mind to establish all over the earth a system of wisdom from which Christ and Yahweh too were excluded. Therefore something whereby Christ and Yahweh were eliminated would have to be interpolated. The following method was then adopted. It was said, Lucifer is in truth the great benefactor of humankind. Parenthesis. Of Araman there was no mention. So little was known of him that one name was used for both. Close parenthesis. Lucifer brings to humanity all that they have gained through the head, science, art, in short, all progress. He is the true spirit of light. It is to him that humanity must adhere. And Yahweh, what has he done in reality? He has established the principle of physical heredity. He is a moon god who has introduced elements pertaining to the moon. Hence the statement in the secret doctrine that people should not adhere to Yahweh, for he is only the lord of materiality. Of all the lower earthly impulses, the true benefactor of humankind is Lucifer. This shimmers through the whole of titled the secret doctrine and moreover is clearly stated there. So for occult reasons, H. P. Blavatsky was prepared in such a way as to become a hater of Christ and Yahweh. For in the occult domain such an utterance signifies exactly the same as Sinnott's statement that the moon is the eighth sphere. It is through knowledge alone that an approach can be made to these things, truly through knowledge alone. Therefore, when we began the periodical Lucifer Gnosis, the first article was necessarily on the subject of Lucifer, in order that he should be rightly understood, in order that it should be realized that inasmuch as he brings about head activity, he is a benefactor of humankind. But the counterweight must also be there. Love must be there as the counterweight. This was stated in the very first article of the periodical, because at that point it was essential to intervene. As you see, things were complicated. Fundamentally, it was desired to achieve through H. P. Blavatsky that human beings should be misled into believing in the eighth sphere. They could most easily be misled into this belief by something false being presented to them as the eighth sphere. Naturally, people were led to the spiritual world, for Blavatsky's secret doctrine has this great merit that through it minds were directed to the spiritual world. But the path followed was in pursuance of special interests, not the interests of the evolution of humanity in general. All these things must be kept strictly in mind if we are to be quite clear about which is the healthy path. We must not accept empty words without verification if we desire to have genuine occultism. We must resolve to see things clearly. Particularly at the present point in our development, it has been necessary for me to give certain indications about these things, indications that can be supplemented at some other time by matters of even greater significance. I had to give these indications 
because if you keep them rightly in your minds, you will see how our ship has been steered from the beginning of our movement. It has been steered in such a way that account has been taken of all the false paths that can be pursued and of all those things that were a menace to the spiritual development of humanity. Indications of a path into the spiritual world must not be given blindly. Above all, they must not be given as the result of rapturous fanaticism. That is why the exhortation has again and again had to be made among you, my dear friends, that it is urgently necessary not to allow yourselves to be duped by what leads to the eighth sphere. I have said repeatedly that that more caution should be exercised in the domain of visionary clairvoyance, that validity should be ascribed only to clairvoyance, that in leading into the higher worlds excludes Lucifer and Araman. Then it will be seen that everything capable of bringing the soul into connection with the eighth sphere must be rejected. Ellipsis, end of lecture 12.